Welcome to Project Bradford Interview, Melody Austin, Episode 1, released February 25th, 2021. Who are you? Can you introduce yourself to, to my audience, both of both of the listeners? Sure. Um, hey, Robert. So my name is Melody Austin. Um, I am a creative producer, project manager, um, and we have formally worked together on a very big project. Um, and I'm just happy to be here. I'm happy to be here and spend some time with you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so now comes the harder part. Everyone can describe themselves by their job. Who are you not using your job? <laughs> that is actually a really good question. Because I especially think in this industry, like, uh, our jobs are so intertwined with our lives that um, I, I will say being at a break between projects has really, like, gotten me back in touch to, like, not being so work-centered <laughs> it's been really nice um so i like that question and i would say that i am i am a very discerning and fun person which um there's kind of weird little adjectives to kind of throw in there but i do really find you know the fun in things i like being kind of a nerd i've been very blessed to have some really fun jobs and I think it all kind of comes from because I like being curious. I like um, just kind of had this natural ability and it's kind of always been in my personality just to kind of figure things out about people and um, just kind of read the room and read the signs sort of things. <laughs> um, and so I would just say that that kind of just adds to my level of just finding fun and wonder, like kind of in the everyday and then an escapism. So uh, an escapist is probably the best word to say. I'm a true escapist. I love being a nerd. Um, Sweet. Yeah. So what's your what's your nerddom? What's what's your jam? Whew. Are uh, kids still uh, saying that? <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure some of them are. I've had to ask. I recently worked on a project over the holidays where I was around people much younger than I, and ooh, I didn't. I had to get a couple of things explained to me. So I think they still say Jam Bradford. I, I think that's still a thing. Um, but um, oh man, I see. I'm an eclectic nerd too, which is horrible. Um, I'm. I really love me some anime. I cannot stop with the anime love. I can't stop with the Pokemon love. <laughs> The Pokemon love is pretty hardcore. Um, I I just really like fun, kind of interesting little things here and there. So um, it's. I was gonna ask what's your job, but I have a hunch you're probably in that lovely pause now that our project has been paused. As Melody said, we worked together for eighteen months on the same project that got an indefinite pause. Uh, so we've both been. Uh, doing other things. I know over the holidays you you did some work. So what what do you do when you do? Ah, when I do. Um, so I am usually hired to be a producer on projects. Um, I have kind of tried to build my skill set more in the project management side because, as you know, different projects call for different things. 
and um, producer and project manager kind of fall together pretty closely, um, depending on what kind of project you have and what kind of company. So um, I was really fortunate I got to work with a smaller company here in town, um, BMRO Productions. And um, Brian is a really interesting creative because he's a great businessman. And I do not know anyone else who is quite as busy in the themed entertainment industry as them. Um, and so we knew each other from back in the SeaWorld days. And I was his executive producer of the um, holiday project that he had over at the Gaylord Palms with the Snow Factory. So um, it, it was great. It was operations so we ran it which was really fun um which is a piece of my background from mm, a while ago that kind of led me to themed entertainment so it was kind of fun to get back to just operating something with people because one of the things i loved um about the theme parks and events and stuff is just really getting to know these interesting people that make it up because it's yeah the guests that come they're great they're awesome i'm glad they're having a good time but it's the people that run these things every day that are the real heroes and have some really interesting stories behind them and where they're going and where, where they've been and uh, being laid off and different kinds of things. It's been kind of interesting to learn different people's stories again and remember how we're all in this boat together <laughs> in this industry, as cliche as it kind of sounds. Yeah. So... You said producer, executive producer. I know what you do because we've been doing this. What do you do for the lay people? And saying go get donuts is not an appropriate answer, although that is true on occasion. Yes, I have gone to get donuts. Um, um, so as a producer, the funny thing is it's the most subjective job, I feel like, in any thing on a creative project but a big part of what you're supposed to be is like the person that holds the vision and keeps it consistent and you yourself don't always have to be the one to keep it together but you have to make sure everybody else that you hire does um and that's probably the best way i can explain it um have you seen that movie the high note with uh chrissy ellis ross Mm mm-hmm I thought it was really interesting because the whole movie is about the girl trying to become a music producer and all these people keep telling her what her job is and what it means and all the, and they all have very different answers to that. It's kind of the hard part about the whole producer title and what we do because it is pretty subjective sometimes, even though if you're over budget or something's out on time, it is 100% your fault. <laughs> That's about <laughs> it. Yeah. And... <laughs> That is a loaded question because, as Melody said, everyone does it differently and everyone defines the role differently. When we were working together, Melody's Melody's team and other teams and, you know, Susan's team and people like that, each person had their own style and their own method. And I think it was driven as much by the team as it is by the producer themselves because we definitely had interesting people on our team. In the immortal words of David Byrne and the Talking Heads, Lord, how did I get here? So, how did you get here besides, you know, me going, hey, Melody, you want to be my first guest? <laughs> oh, gosh, how did I get here? Uh, uh, I guess 
When it comes to getting hair, like, um, you know, I'm I'm nor- I'm originally from New Orleans, so it's kind of funny because my parents still don't really even understand what I do. I keep trying to tell them, like, just just tell your friends that I build roller coasters. They still don't know what to tell their friends. I don't know what else to tell them. <laughs> um, you know, it's just I got here out of that whole kind of being curious and just really enjoying having fun and. Um, I have been told I'm pretty personable in my personality and I'm just like my personality and stuff like that outside of work. So um, I made my way to Florida after college because it just seemed like a cool place to be. And I really enjoyed the theme park kind of industry, even though I studied journalism. So I wasn't quite sure how that was going to work into it. But three years I was um, I was a digital like on, online marketing was a big thing when I first got out of college. That's how that's how old I am, and um, that like whole content creation kind of skill set led me to being a I was a full time freelancer for like eight or eight or seven years, and I worked in marketing and I did a lot of freelance writing. So I did, did a lot of blogs, did a lot of social content. Um, it's a lot of strategy, like a lot of creative strategists and um, running campaigns. And I ended up, in the meantime, while I was doing that, I also worked in production over at Universal and Entertainment. And I really liked the production world. I liked the marketing world. And it seemed like the more I learned about themed entertainment and what that actually meant, um, it's a nice little marriage of using, like, creative strategy and just being an organized person. I, I swear I got my first, like, job and design because I just came really organized. I knew who I was and I knew how to explain my skills to how they would help that person, even though I had no idea what to do in design. Um, And they translated well and I got hired on the spot (laughs) and the rest was kind of history. That was over with uh, SeaWorld back in the day. Um, That was right after they had built Mako. So I was there from the Mako era to when Sesame Street Land opened. That's when I was working over with their team. Um, and then I ended up over at Universal again, working full time where I worked on the Velocicoaster that's about to open up. And I also got to work with you on our yes. project. That we're not allowed to talk about still. Sure. No idea what you were getting into, but I knew what I was getting into. I don't know. I'm just like, well, I can't embarrass Bradford on this podcast. That was like my whole goal today. <laughs> Like, I'm just not going to embarrass Bradford on this podcast and try to look like a professional of some kind. <laughs> I actually and that's the blooper. <laughs> I'm, I'm, luckily, I remember how to put on, like, my normal makeup and not, like, my goth-looking makeup. Because I was like, mm, where are all of my not-black colors? And I found them. Who knew I found that box? <laughs> And see, it's like I was like, I should take my T-shirt off and put on like collared shirt, look presentable. Oh, I forgot to shave. Oh, it's it's fine. Here, guy, it's pretty easy. It's pretty easy. Yeah. And I was even that. It's just like, hmm, what, what can you actually wear? And with the whole the camera angles now with the TVs, it's just like, what? I don't know what anybody's gonna be looking at. So I just better. I, I kept it to my my thermal in Florida because that made sense. Yeah, I think a lot of people come into this industry thinking, yeah, I'm going to work at a theme park. It's fun and games. All I have to do is dream up how people get to have fun. 
And in reality, we spend a lot more time of dreaming up ways people can injure themselves and trying to stop them from injuring themselves. Yes, because they are very persistent about this. It's like it's their mission when they come in the door. Yeah, I'm kind of like, why would you want to stand up on a roller coaster? Um, I, Florida, never mind. I get it now. Back <laughs> to the question. <laughs> uh, we'll go back to the questions. So besides having these lovely online meetings that we had for nine months during the, the virus, during the pandemic, mm-hmm. how do you interface or use AV in your, in your job, in your development? Because I can explain what I think you do, but I figure it's more fun for people to hear from you because, oh, <laughs> you know. Well, mm-hmm. oh, gosh. Well, it's really funny because so like when I was a butler, that was like my major was electronic journalism. So you learn pretty much everything about like a newsroom and how to run a board and stuff like that. And I remember I took like one audio class and I, I really liked our professor. He looked like one of the Beatles and I'm not really sure. <laughs> I'm not really sure everything that happened in that class because he definitely was rock and roll the whole time. It was pretty fun. But um, I, I had a very deep appreciation for people who understood what was going on. Cause I'm just like, I understand the importance of this. It is quite complicated. And sometimes trying to say it back, I'm not quite sure. But um, it's, it was fun trying to learn about it here and there. But um, video has always been like the one thing that's kind of followed me growing up, especially being, you know, someone who grew up with the internet and social media. Like back in the 90s, they're like, video is the future. And they were right. Um, to the point where people have to like ban it from their kids because it's like ruining like the family system, I guess. <laughs> if you kids watch too much YouTube. <laughs> but um, I guess how we interface is you just kind of see it every day because it's really just comes up with these meetings. Like it just sounds really stupid and basic, but it's really these meetings. But lighting can make everything, um, it can make some really like old ugly looking scenic from like 10 years ago looked like brand new and fresh and interesting like um so let me ask you besides being an all-around great guy who sits in the meetings and makes you laugh at inopportune times what can av people do to make your job easier and to help us succeed as we move forward in this in the world both Hopefully getting back to themed entertainment, but just, you know, in what you do. I think the more they can, whenever anyone has, like as a producer, there's always a million people talking to you and this person has an opinion, that person has an opinion. But the more someone can like really be an expert about something and explain it in the simplest of ways possible. Cause I always believe if I can understand something, then it's probably the right thing to do. Um, <laughs> you know, so uh, I just think it gets so people's idea of AV. And when you really try to think about like the, inc- the intricacies and 
how it all works and how to make it work well, it can get kind of overwhelming for people who aren't like really in it. So I say people who are skilled, the more that they can help others understand and kind of take some of that mystery out or that overwhelmingness out really is the big key because one, it helps build trust, but two, it also helps empower people to understand your industry better. Um, and I think that's kind of the key that it's this industry that we kind of use every day and we really require um, that people don't know much about it unless you've really just kind of been thrown into the snake pit of cords and things and you come out on the other side with a pretty light. <laughs> but man, yeah, I think also too a big thing about the AV world. I really wish there was more of a gateway into it, right? Because, like, how did you get started in AB? Like, what made you, like, you wanted to play with lights and video? You just wanted to? Or something Something had to have sparked that? So, my grandfather uh, was an electrical engineer. Uh, he worked on various space things. And I just got hooked and so to me it was this is the fun stuff and then someone i had a fisher price uh turntable that actually played real albums not like you know toy albums and i figured out you could do fun stuff with this and i got a tape deck and well that lasted around a day before i kind of broke it and it just kind of kept going i uh I actually am probably one of the weird ones that this is actually really close to what I wanted to do. Uh, I actually was recruited to go to go to college for technical theater. So, you know, it's kind of what I wanted to do. I did it in high school. I, you know, just always liked that. I can't explain why. It's kind of like, why do some people like strawberry ice cream? Besides the fact that they're mutants, it's just what they like. Strawberry ice cream is the best. You shut your mouth. <laughs> so I just, I've been in it as long as I can remember. I remember learning, you know, unplug the amplifier before you hook up a speaker because you will scare the pee out of yourself. I was like seven when I did that. Oh, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Because I just feel like... I wish more people kind of knew it and were into it and thought of it. Cause I've only heard of people wanting to like be a music producer. So everybody wants to learn how to use a soundboard. Right. And nowadays I guess kids kind of have more technology in their hands. So maybe they're going to be more into it, but I don't know. I feel like the market could really expand if more people had an interest in doing it. It's kind of like how people started getting to STEM with like women and African-Americans and kind of thing. Like, I wish, like, just in general, AV, like, had a way of getting more out into, um, like, young people and just kind of helping them understand that this is something that could be really interesting. It's more hands-on, you know? It's not like having to go to school and learn books and stuff like that. It's it's more of a technical skill that's really useful. Um, and I just kind of feel like, and it's kind of the thing of all of themed entertainment, if us that are already into it don't try to help encourage other people to look into this kind of field or 
educate people or encourage people that might have like a knack or a skill or something like that and we don't do it ourselves our industry is going to die out because people aren't going to really be into it or they're not going to know what to do if they are interested right so i guess i would just be i feel like it would be useful for like the future of projects and things like that and especially for producers it's just being able to make sure that these experts are out there passing on their information or really helping to build up that kind of an industry because it's really a pain when you can't find somebody who knows what they're talking about. It really is. It just makes the project so much worse. Um, and it makes our job a lot easier. If I can just go to someone and know that you know what you're talking about, this will be fine. But yeah, so. the the diversity in the industry and getting younger people involved is getting to be a problem. Uh, and people are working on it. And for instance, as you were talking about, you know, you want someone who knows what they're doing. The big challenge is a lot of the stuff you do hasn't been done before, or we do hasn't been done before. So you have to figure it out. And I think a lot of, like you said, everything's in their hand on a YouTube phone of, I can look at everything starts to become the challenge. And like you said, it doesn't take a degree. We, you and I both work with people with PhDs and they didn't understand the actual application and physically all the connections. So now I think it's good. The, how do we get people involved? Yeah, that's true. Huh. It's true. Representation, ugh. representation is everything. Yep. Oh, I was to ask you if you think VR and AR, virtual reality and, and augmented reality, are going to be the next generation of the theme park industry. That's probably an easier question for you. It is. It's an interesting question, though, because I think it can be when the time is right. And that's kind of a hard way of putting it. But I think, like, now is the time where we have to explore it, but the payoff for that's probably not going to be fairly quick and fairly soon. Um, and, I, and I worked on a VR project with Battle for Ire, which is over at Bish Gardens, Williamsburg. And it's it's really successful. Like, people come and see it. They really enjoy it. Um, they have a great experience on it. And it was a lift on a simulator, which kind of really helps it with the VR and stuff too. Like we didn't try to go and do anything too crazy, right? Um, but when you like go and try and put something on like a coaster or something like that, like I don't know if VR really belongs on roller coasters necessarily, but in the right setting with the right people working on it, it really could be the future, but the time has to be right in both the industry that's making it and for the guests too. So like, anything that would try and come out fairly soon might be harder because of COVID right now, right? Where people are kind of touch me, but also people don't care about that as much, it seems. So maybe it's not a problem for the people doing it, but um, I think it's a lot of what is to come and who's going to be making it um, is really what we'll see. But you have to start now to try and make it pay off for you in the next like 10 years or something like that. Um, and now's the time to explore it and like really invest into it. So then going to VR or AR, how do you make it so that people don't sit at home and just do it at home on their 
Sony PlayStation or their Xbox or their Oculus or, you know, pick your VR engine of choice. Instead of doing that, come to, you know, get people through the turnstile. Yeah, I think it's really the the amount of immersion you can kind of put around it, right? Um, you know, my headphones at home can only do so much, even if you have the really nice ones. But if you put them in a really immersive environment where they kind of forget about, they're not going to just go to something because it's VR. They're going to go to something because of a full-on immersive experience. I think uh, Disney kind of showed that it immersing people as much as they can from the very beginning, as soon as they can to the end with a uh, rise of resistance, which is not a VR or AR technology. But um, if you had that level of immersion, plus you added some VR or something on top of it, and even took the immersion a little bit further, people would still probably be lining up for it, just the way that you still can't get a ticket to rise of resistance, <laughs> even in the midst of COVID. Um, so... I think it's it's the theme and it's the experience that people want and what it's tied to people will really care about. It has to be tied to the right thing. Um, and again, Battlefire is an original IP. It's something we we completely made up and it's pretty successful. So I would say if people were really invested into the experience that they're having, it, it could pay off as long as it's done right. Sweet. So do you think, do you think, Part of it is the communal experience of going to a park and experience this with, you know, 3,000 of your closest friends or even 30 of your closest friends on an attraction versus sitting at home in your living room with your dog barking at you going, why are you swinging lightsabers like you're like you're, you know, battling someone? Um. And Richard, this is exactly what you're asking, but this is how I kind of take that question, is that I think the timing has to be right in theme parks where we're not trying to do everything for a thousand people at one time. Like, if it's something that's more intimate, that takes less people at a time to do it, um, it can pay off for parks because people will still do all the other stuff while they're waiting their turn, and they'll be willing to wait longer for something that's more interesting and intimate. But oh, God, something with like a with a ton of people is I think it's just going to always be the challenge of trying to pull it off. And maybe the future of the industry and the future of theme parks is to have things that you're not trying to aim for every single person to come through the door. So like it's something for people who really want this kind of immersive experience and who are willing to pay the money or just wait the time to do it. People will wait for something that's really cool. Like we've seen them wait at 3 a.m. in the morning for Hagrid's to open months after it's been open, you know? So I think, I think if it's the right thing and we stop trying to make everything for every single person that comes through the door, it can really work. But um, it's got to be more intimate for people to really probably want to buy into it. Yeah, and I think it's hard because theme parks are kind of built on the idea that we can come here and do everything together um and i think some parks have an have an advantage that they're kind of for a specific type of thriller kind of person or um it doesn't have to be a family of four trying to do this kind of experience sort of thing and people can kind of leverage that and are willing to change up the model a little bit it could be pretty successful oh kind of like cedar point uh 
up in Ohio is you like roller coasters, you go there. That is what you're going for. If you like Star Wars, you're going to Disney. If you like Harry Potter, you're going to Universal. You're thinking it's going to be more of focused experiences like that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I think the more focused stuff lets you get to do things that are a little different. You could come up with something that's original. Um, like Halloween Horror Nights, for example, they have original houses and then they have IP houses. And obviously their big draws are those IP houses, but they have some classic originals that people are just used to kind of experiencing and liking to see that evolution. And the more big IP houses they have, the more they can make some new originals if they wanted to, you know? So it's kind of that fine line with theme parks where if you can find something that people really care about to draw them in, you open the door for some originality to also show up as well, too, so people can have something unique as well. So because I'm me, I have another rule. You can't use an abbreviation without defining it. So you used IP, which is intellectual property. So that way, none of my listeners can go, you didn't define it. So so I guess going back, so as you say, you have IP and you use that to drive other things. And some things are evergreen, such as Terminator 2 ran for 22 years at Universal, which means a lot of the people hadn't seen it. Hey, I'm I'm still proud of that project. Oh, I am old if that's on mine. Rest in peace, Terminator. It was a it was a fun little ride. Yeah. I do like what they did with the stuntacular though. That was pretty awesome with the Born project. Yeah. But then you have stuff like Men in Black, which I wonder how many people know there was Men in Black in the nineties before the Men in Black International came out with Chris Hemsworth uh, you know, a couple of years ago. So how much do you think knowing the intellectual property or the IP of the of the attraction is needed? Or do you think a good attraction is a good attraction? I think, hmm, that's, that's a really tough one, to be honest. Um, I do think a good attraction lets anybody enjoy it. Like... My mom, who doesn't understand anything about theme parks, I take her on rides all the time, and she's like, this is so nice. She has no idea what she's looking at. She has no idea what she's experiencing. But she's like, she likes certain rides, and she will not get on other ones. Like a roller coaster, she ain't going to enjoy that. But um, take her on something that moves really slow, she'll be a happy camper, right? Um, And a good ride is just a good ride that has something... That doesn't make people feel lost. You just don't want to feel lost on a ride. <laughs> um, but it's it kind of hard to get around not using it as an example. But it's like a Fast and Furious. If you don't know much about Fast and Furious, it's kind of hard to enjoy that ride. Because I rode it a couple of times. I still didn't know who Dom was. And I love The Rock. You know, a, a good ride, anyone should be able to walk on. Like, I think... Some of the Harry Potter rides do it pretty good where, like, you don't know who Harry Potter is. You can go on Forbidden Journey and really enjoy it. Um, I did. Yeah. You know, you can go on and really enjoy it. Um, don't have that hot dog before you get on it, but you'll be fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, um, yeah. But to go back to IP about 
when it means for an IP, I guess I would have to say you don't have to know an IP to enjoy a ride, but your big IPs will help bring in your crowds and bring in people who love that kind of thing. And it'll also surprise people who did. Because when we walked by and my boyfriend saw the Fast and Furious ride, he was super excited and wanted to get on that. And I was like, sure, sure, let's do it. And he loves it. And he, it's still his favorite ride in the whole park. <laughs> um, legit is his favorite ride. And there are still people who think it's funny that Men in Black is still my favorite ride after all these years. But it's it's what it is. Now, when you get me to the other park, it might be a different ride that I like better. But, you know, it's it's still the same thing. Because I'll, I'll be the first to admit, you know, I've worked on projects that I had no idea what the IP was. And I've had to sit down and read the books. Uh, my favorite story is mm, over 20 years ago now when uh, Seuss Landings w- was opening at Universal Alliance of Adventure, I had all of the Dr. Seuss books in my office Aww. for reference. That's cool. I knew the IP, but knowing it as, you know, you've read the books as a kid versus, you know, what color is the Lorax is two different things. <laughs> So. That is really true. Um, and yeah, I think it's like a balance when it comes to the intellectual properties because something like Dr. Seuss, everyone can recognize who, what that is, even if for some reason someone may not have read a book. There are like little stories along the way to kind of help you understand the land and everything that's happening. Um, it's when you kind of throw something that's like a big deal and you're not quite sure what's going on that's just the feeling you just don't want to have but um some of those more intimate kind of things that i think could really be the future of a sector of theme parks not the whole theme parks everything shouldn't be some internet experience but if you had a few things like that those kind of things people would enjoy either way if it's done right Project Bradford is a production of Advisist Group, LLC, and is distributed by AV Nation Media. Project Bradford is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share-Alike non-commercial license. Music by Kim Bookbinder is excluded from our Creative Commons license. So yeah. is, it, is it safe to say that you did play the role of Big Bird in the opening of Sesame Street Land and got in the big yellow bird costume? Because you all t- you are tall enough. Oh, I I am I am tall enough to be big bird. Um, and he says that because I am I am six two. Um, and no, I did not get to play the big yellow bird. Um, I started at Universal right when we went into construction, so I didn't get to go into the field for Sesame Land. But um, everything else I had to work on, which was pretty fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a good time at Sesame Land. That was a good project.